Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of the Motherkind podcast. I'm so pleased you're here. Bethany Webster is the global expert on healing the mother wound. So you might be thinking, what is the mother wound? Do I have one? How do I know if I have one? Well, Bethany would say most of us are carrying some wounding from our own mothers. And the mother wound is when we split off from our authentic selves, who we really are because of conscious or subconscious messages from our own mothers, often done out of love, about who we need to be about who they need us to be or about who society needs us to be. And because our beliefs about ourselves are generally formed between the ages of zero to seven, so powerful every time I hear that, our beliefs about ourselves and the world are generally formed between the ages of zero to seven. And that's exactly the same time that we need our caregiver's love to survive. So what do we do? We adapt. We split off from who we really are to become who we think we need to be in order to get that love. And that is the mother wound. I think it's really important to say it's not about mother bashing or shaming our mothers. We're all mothers. We know how unbelievably challenging this role is, right? And of course, I'll be passing down my unconscious beliefs to my two girls. Of course I will, because we're all deeply imperfect. But Bethany's call to us is to look at this. Because the more aware that we can be about those messages that were passed down to us from our own mothers about the world and who we need to be, the less likely it is that we're going to pass those on to our own daughters. Bethy and I talk about how this can be done with love and compassion for everyone. You know, this isn't about phoning our mothers up and telling them everything they did wrong. Far from it. This is deeply personal and my experience of the mother wound work in a child work is that it's very private you know it's very few people that I actually share the deep kind of inner healing that I've done around this with so it's a really powerful episode go steady with it you might need to pause it a few times and think things through or grab the journal I think this is incredibly powerful Bethany's work I think it's game-changing. She has this new book out, which is unbelievable. Please go and check it out. And let us know what you thought of the episode on Instagram. I will be in my direct messages. I've had a break over the summer. As you'll know, if you're a regular listener to both the podcast and Instagram, but I am back, I'm available, I'm here. So please do get in contact. And here is the episode. I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. Let's start right at the start all right is what is the mother wound the mother wound as i define it is a set of limiting beliefs and patterns that we inherit from our mothers that cause us to limit and self-sabotage ourselves one could also say it's how the patriarchal belief that women are less than gets passed through mother to daughter 
it's like we bond with our mothers, but we also bond with her beliefs. And all women to some degree have had to internalize beliefs that about not being good enough, about not rocking the boat, about all these beliefs about what a woman can and should be. So we inherit this to some degree from our mothers. She might have explicitly or just implicitly shared certain beliefs about what's possible for women, what's okay, what's taboo. And there can also be trauma between mothers and daughters, which also is more common than we realize. And it's been a taboo subject. So this work of the mother wound is about how we receive wounding from our mothers and how that shapes our sense of self. And it's something that hasn't really been, I don't think, looked at enough. I think it's the core of like everything for women. And it's not about blaming mothers. It's not about making mothers wrong or anything like that. Actually, I think ultimately this will raise respect due to mothers and women as a whole as we do this work. It's really about healing those intergenerational patterns. Well, I mean, that's kind of my absolute passion. There's a lot that I want to talk about and I almost want to unpick every word that you just said which we will but I'm super curious how did you come to this work you know you've been studying this 20 plus years what was your trajectory to be sat here it started early for me I thought I had a normal childhood you know a normal (laughs) upbringing and then by the time I got into college I had really severe symptoms I was having panic attacks and severely depressed and so I got into therapy at 19 and I was lucky enough to find a really brilliant feminist therapist and I've worked with her now to this day in what's called long-term depth psychotherapy which is all about basically re-imprinting your attachment blueprint so it's not a common kind of therapy I didn't realize it till many years later that this is actually a very deep kind of therapy. It's not the typical cognitive behavioral. But anyway, when I first got into therapy, I was like, didn't want to look at my relationship with my mother. And my therapist was like, you know, at some point we're going to have to look at your relationship with your mom. And I was like, no, I don't want to. I was really resistant because I didn't want to blame my mother and I didn't want to create more complexity and heaviness around that relationship because it was so tense. But I realized after a few years of therapy, like, oh, wow, this is the core I saw that it was the same patterns and themes, whether it was my career, my romantic relationships, my body image issues, it all kind of had the same theme. And I realized just observing myself and observing my relationship with my mother, that it was deeply linked. And so I finally focused on it early. I was like, all right, let's do this. I want to unpack this. I really want to get to the bottom of this. So that's what I've been doing all these years. And then it reached a point where I think it was around 2011, I had been doing so much deep work and I wanted to shift the dynamic with my mother. So I had a conversation with her. I was like, you know, I really want to shift our dynamic into something that's more, you know, works for both of us because I didn't really feel like I had a voice in that relationship. So I had been doing all this empowerment work, women's work, therapy, all these different modalities. And so I was ready to shift, ready to speak out, actually, you know, set some new boundaries. And it just went poorly my mother didn't have the capacity to like want to work together on our relationship. She kind of took it as a rejection of her and an attack. So that spawned a whole nother phase of my journey where I got through that. I survived that. And it was really intense. Like I had to get a restraining order from my mother on the spectrum of mother daughter relationships. I'm on that more traumatic end, but I got through that and I was like, wow. And I wanted to be as conscious through that process as possible. That was one of my intentions. Like, I want to feel everything. 
I'm surviving one of the hardest things I've ever endured, but I want to be conscious through the process. I don't want to deny or numb out, you know, coming out the other side of that, maybe like a year later, I was like, this process has given me everything that I've been desiring through spirituality, through psychotherapy, going through the mother situation that I went through. I was like, why isn't anyone talking about this? This encapsulates everything. Because I realized I started to feel finally like I landed in my body. Like, wow, the way I even looked at myself in the mirror, like the way I looked was different. It was like, wow, I just felt more at peace. I felt more self-respect. I felt more connected to other people just as a result of having done some profoundly deep work around my mother and living through that experience. And I was like, we need to talk about this. There needs to be more of a larger conversation about mothers and daughters because I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't expecting to have worked on my mother wound and come out feeling all these things. And I almost didn't do this. Like there was a part of me that was terrified because of that taboo of don't blame your mother. I almost completely tried to bypass this. And yet this is the journey that brought me to where I've been longing to go for decades. So I started a blog and I started passionately writing articles. I think for two years, I wrote an article every two weeks, just trying to articulate, like I came out of my journal entries and wanting to help other women. Cause I started to see it everywhere. Women struggling with the mother wound, but misattributing it to other stuff. Like it's my self-esteem or I just need to get more skills or shame or even worse going into shame about stuff when really it was dynamics with their mothers that were reinforcing and perpetuating some of these deeper beliefs that weren't true about themselves. So I became super passionate and just started writing, writing, writing. And then it just immediately went global. I had fans and followers in Europe actually before I did here in the United States. So that's kind of how it's happened. And it just kind of went and been growing from there. What was it that in healing that relationship with your mother unlocked, as you say, everything you were looking for, confidence, empowerment, joy. Can you go into the weeds a bit with what it Mm -hmm. was? That would be really helpful, I think, to unpack that. Well, there's a lot to it. It is complex. If I had to boil it down, I had a shame-based identity, which means that I thought there's something wrong with me. You know, at the core of my fears was a fear of being horrible, like a horrible being, like there's something wrong with me. There's something bad about me. And this belief drove my behaviors. It caused me to be an overachiever, a perfectionist, a people pleaser. And through the process, I got to see that actually there's never been anything wrong with me, but I had to believe that about myself in order to survive my family. So child development tells us that children will blame themselves as a way to preserve the connection with their caregiver, right? And that belief can just stay in the background of our consciousness. And so I had created an identity that was based on defending against that shame and feeling that shame. And through the process, I started to realize, and I'm still going through deeper, deeper layers with it, that those weren't true. Partly they were beliefs that I internalized because of my mother's trauma and how her dynamic was with me, which was that she kind of treated me like her mother. So she was a parentified daughter, meaning she had to take care of her own mother. And so she kind of replayed that pattern with me. So I had these beliefs like, I have to please others to be good. There's something wrong with me. If I have needs, I'm bad. Having needs and feelings makes me inferior and weak. These are things that so many people have. But just seeing that those weren't true, I didn't have to live like that anymore. There's like a whole life outside of that. So it took a lot of grief 
grieving for the childhood that I have, the childhood that I lost as a having to grow up so fast in that situation and creating a relationship with my inner child. Because what was happening was my inner child was kind of pulling the strings behind the scenes, you know, in my adult awareness, I'd be like, this is what I want to do. Go for it. And then my inner child would put on the brakes. No, that's not safe. So I had to really learn how to mother myself. And this is kind of what I talk about in the book is how do we mother that child in us to fill that mother gap so that there's trust and security, like a secure attachment within ourselves that then allows us to go beyond the confines of where our mothers have gone, where society allows us to go, that we need to feel safe. It really comes down to safety, emotional safety, that unconditional embrace of who we are. And that's something that's practiced step-by-step, breath-by-breath, little-by-little. It's a slow, gradual process, but it's so worth it. And it can be done. Not a lot of people want to go there. Part of my mission is to help people see this as an inspiring, badass, necessary journey. It's unglamorous, but it's the most holy place to go. I guess a lot of people are afraid of losing their mother. You know, if I delve into this work, will it mean an estrangement? Mm. What's been your experience helping all the women that you have through this? Can those relationships get stronger as a result of this work as well as maybe more boundaried? Absolutely. It can go either way. And we don't know until we start the process. There's no way to know ahead of time. But I've seen it go both ways. I've seen mothers and daughters actually come to a deeper bond, a deeper understanding. You know, it usually starts with the daughter having to get some clarity on what's not working in my life and in my relationship with my mom. What's the connection between the two? What are some new boundaries I need to set? And then when the daughter initiates that, many times the mother can adapt. She will get it. She'll be like, oh, okay, my daughter's growing. Her needs are different now and I need to adapt if I want to have a relationship with her. And many moms do. And some actually thrive in that new paradigm with their daughters. But some mothers don't have that capacity to kind of grow and expand and they don't necessarily have that ability. So sometimes it goes the other way, like it did in my case. So it really depends on all the particulars of the situation. But we have to risk this. We have to risk this because what happens actually is there's a correlation between how we hold ourselves small with our mothers and how we do that in the rest of the world. It's the terrain of self, the landscape of self when we're dealing with our mothers. We're in the field of mother, which is really the field of self. And so as we differentiate from our mothers, we start to feel our power and our reality as safe rather than something that could be destroyed if we speak out. We don't really know what we can survive it. There's something powerful in that and experiencing that. If as children or in a child, we have to choose love, connection, which we do for survival, over empowerment, over authenticity, over speaking the truth, then I guess there comes a point in our lives when we have to make that choice again, right? Yeah, exactly. Like when we were children, we needed external validation to live, to survive. It was literally survival, having our mother's love, support, validate, mirror us. So we needed shame as a tool to survive. We needed to develop compensating adaptations that may become barriers in our adulthood. So when we become adults, you're right. It's like the second place of time of, I have to birth myself. But the great thing is that it's no longer survival-based. So we don't need our mother's approval to survive anymore. But our subconscious and our inner child might still believe that. It can feel like it. 
It can totally feel like it. And what about when we become mothers ourselves? So we've got three generations at play. Is that an opportunity to do this work deeper or is it an opportunity to heal? You know, I've had some healing experiences watching my mom interact with her grandkids, Mm. but it's another complex dynamic, isn't it? It's a kind of another level. Totally. I have so much respect for moms that I feel like moms are like some of the most powerful pioneers at this time because that's why intermothering is so important for moms because what moms feel deprived of, it's easy to pass on. You know, it's easy to pass that on to our kids without even realizing it. Like it's so easy to harm a child. It's so easy. I don't think our culture realizes how easy it is to harm a child. In the process that I do with with the women I work with, what I've seen with moms is that the more they learn to mother the child within themselves, to be more emotionally present, emotionally aware, nurturing, cherishing, they automatically show up that way with their actual kids. So it's really working at that level where we have to fill that mother gap within ourselves to be that kind of mom that we want to be to the kids. It starts inside. You've said that phrase mother gap a few times. Can you just break down exactly what that is and how does someone know if they have that mother gap? Is it the same as mother wound? Are you using those phrases? Yeah. Mother gap is the gap between what we needed from our mothers and what we actually received. Right. Wow. And it can be something that we needed, but we didn't get, or it could be something that we got that we didn't need. So it's this gap. And usually we project it outwards as adults onto other people, you know, onto spouses, bosses, our own kids, or anybody. We can project our needs for mothering, for validation, for connection, and it's deep. And it's usually something that we don't realize. But usually the way it shows up is we become conscious of it when it becomes painful and it replicates, usually replicates across different relationships. Like I can say, For myself, I totally projected my mother gap on people, especially as a young adult in my early 20s, when I was just getting conscious of this, I was totally looking for a mother in teachers and gurus and bosses, you know, just looking for like a positive female role model because I didn't really get that from my mother. Her demeanor was much more negative, cynical. She didn't really indulge emotions or anything. So she was just not a warm character. So I was really looking for that. And that created all kinds of problems in relationships as well. So becoming conscious of what we missed as kids, it's not to blame or be stuck in the past or any of that. It's actually to take responsibility. What did I miss and how can I fill that now for myself rather than project outward onto other people who literally can't meet those needs because childhood is over, you know, our chance to get that need met from an external person outside of therapy isn't really possible. I think it's a profound act of responsibility to do this reflection on our childhood, how it's impacting our adult self now, our adult lives, and then to fill that mother gap from within. And that's the work I teach around inner mothering. How do we mother that child inside of us so that that inner safety can be created? I'm really interested in the idea of blaming versus taking responsibility. Yeah, a lot of people are afraid to do any kind of inner work around this because it's been conflated as blaming our mothers. It's a shaming, actually, that gets done. And it's complicated because our culture does blame mothers. Mothers are either blamed for everything or they're idealized. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's either like black the Madonna or white. Or, the Madonna or the scapegoat. 
Exactly. Exactly. So as daughters, we might be like, well, I don't want to be in tandem with the gross culture that blames mothers. I respect my mom. I want to protect her from some of that bullshit that's in the world towards mothers, right? We might feel compassion for our mothers, so we don't want to cause her any harm. But the truth is that it's not blame to look at what we did or didn't get from our mothers. As children, we were And children are, they are dependent on their parents, on their mothers. They're completely powerless. There's a dependency there. So there's a vulnerability that we experience as children. And we have to be willing to look at that sense of victimhood that many of us did. I resisted for years looking at this. Number one, I didn't want to see myself as a victim. Number two, I didn't want to, I was terrified of the grief of what would that be like to really take in how unsafe I was as a child. A lot of people fear that they'll get stuck in those emotions, but the kind of paradox is that in order to heal from victimhood, getting stuck there, we actually have to look at the ways that we were true victims. And the only time we were victims in this context is as children. We were completely dependent on our parents. Some of us were exploited overtly or implicitly or whatever in lots of different ways. And that controls our lives. If we don't look at that and grieve that, we can't actually get through it to empowerment So it's a place of responsibility and to see victimhood as a temporary place on the path of healing. But I think there's this cynical lens that our culture sees healing and growth because we have a kind of immature society generally that doesn't do complexity very well, but we have to be willing to visit the places that we've been a victim, grieve that to come out the other side. That's really the point. But it's been conflated to see that, oh, if we do any of this work, then we're stuck in victimhood. We're not seeing things clearly. That's actually not the truth. So it's still a bit counterculture and it's still a bit taboo to really heal yourself because there's not a lot of people that have done it. It's not elevated in our society enough. It's becoming, thank goodness, more and more talked about. And I think we're living through an exciting time where that's happening. But I see women who do this work as pioneers as badass mother warriors who are breaking intergenerational patterns and creating new cycles of healing and growth for their children, modeling new ways of being that are really exciting, you know, new possibilities of how to relate to ourselves, our emotions, that creates a whole new spaciousness for how to be human. And my experience with this is that, you know, when I did some of that work, unpacking that relationship in my childhood, you know, there was light and shade. I saw incredible things, especially becoming a mother myself. And I was like, wow, like my mom, despite being in her own unresolved trauma, like showed up for us incredibly. And I think that there was so much light in doing that work. And I actually wrote my mom a letter thanking her. Beautiful. Yeah, which was so healing for us both and actually she collapsed on the floor and sobbed because she said I was carrying so much guilt. I didn't know I was carrying. Mm. Yeah, it was amazing. But also, you know, taking that responsibility of like through no fault of her own, because I will be creating a mother within my own kids because no one's perfect, right? So through no fault of her own, as you said, like what are some of the imprints? What's some of the blueprints? What are some of the beliefs that I want to change? I think you can bring a lightness to it is my experience. I think it's deep and it's heavy and it's grief and there's all of that. But also I think there can be like a kind of light that sits around all of it. That's my experience. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I'm trying to do is just to have compassion for the pain we've been through, but also 
this is like a passageway into being self-actualized and all the things that maybe your four mothers have wanted for you that become possible for you to step into. You know, something that unlocked a lot of that for me was asking around my family about my mum's own early experiences. And I was like, wow, like, I mean, A, it fascinates me. and It is my passion. So (laughs) someone else might not have found it so incredible, but tracking this stuff, you know, doing a genogram and tracking the behaviors and the traumas through the generations was just incredible for me because rather than feeling anger and blame, I felt respect and compassion. You can feel both. They're all okay feelings. They're all okay. They're all okay. They're all okay. And my therapist often says to me, where's your anger? (laughs) Yeah. There's a tendency to want to go really hard into the light, you know, and it's just human, but that's good. Our anger is part of our power, right? Exactly. Someone said to me on the podcast once, anger is the emotion of self-worth. And I loved that so much. Mm, I like that. You kind of say the mother wound exists on four different levels. What are those levels and how do we know where those levels might be interplaying in our lives? So, so far we've been talking about the personal level and that's about the dynamics between ourselves and our mothers and how we internalized certain beliefs based on that. And then there's also the cultural mother wound, which we touched on as well, which is how our society sees women as less than. You can't talk about the mother wound without talking about patriarchy. And when I say the word patriarchy, I'm just talking in a very general sense that we see women as less than in the culture. That's the atmosphere in which mothers and daughters live, right? Live our lives. And so we absorb that atmosphere and it distorts our sense of self and how we relate to each other. So the main kind of vibe is scarcity. There's not enough love or not enough power for all of us to go around. So that sense of scarcity can create competition. It can create comparison. It can create a lot of pain between women and often, you know, struggles between friends or struggles with our bodies many times have to do that interplay between our beliefs about ourselves as women and our relationships with our mothers. I think it was Kate Millett who said that the family is the primary institution of patriarchy. It's where those values get transferred into our personal lives. Those cultural values get absorbed and played out in families. That's why mothers are so important because they are at this interface between culture and creating a new human, basically. (laughs) So the ways that we've absorbed those beliefs you know, the ideal is like, you need to be rich, white, skinny woman to, you know, that can do everything and be superhuman. And if we're not that, then there's something wrong with us. Right. So as moms, it's powerful to be able to model loving your body as it is not working so hard. You know, there's different ways that each woman can find a space in a pocket to rebel against some of these pressures. So that's like the cultural motherhood. And there's so much there. Yeah. Because what I find fascinating is I love this lens. I love this lens, partly because I think it just, again, adds kind of context and compassion because surely, you know, if you think about this context through from, you know, burning witches at the stake, those who Mm -hmm. spoke up through our mother line, seven generations up, let's say, which we know is what we carry, it would have been very dangerous to speak out in a way that you and I are now. It would have been very dangerous to be our full fierce, embodied selves, that would have actually, in years gone by, meant death or injury or just not safe. And in some places the world, it still is. Still is. And for women of color, you know, we can't, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, I think, a different lens. And I think it's definitely a different experience based on some of the conversations I've been having around that topic. And 
it's fascinating this collective level of well, it makes wound. everything make sense. It makes the mother wound make sense, right? There's been so many like books written about mothers and daughters in the psychology, like clinical space, but not so much in the feminist. I mean, like it's been mentioned, it's a thread, but it hasn't been analyzed the way I'm analyzing it with this multi-level way that brings together trauma, feminism, and the patriarchy lens, like this cultural lens and how it boils down into that mother-child dyad. And what we learn in that dyad, you cannot overstate how pivotal that is. That's why it's been the most holy and also the most feared and the most blamed. Yeah, because on a really simplistic terms, unconsciously, some mothers tell us to stay small, to stay safe. And then we wonder why we can't, we wonder why we can't go for the promotion. We wonder why we can't speak up. We wonder why we can't get the divorce or marry the man that's the wild card. Exactly. I like to say the mother wound is like an invisible fence and it just keeps us inside certain behaviors and blinds us to other options because it's about what feels safe. And our moms taught us what felt safe according to their algorithm. But we have our own ability to create our own algorithm for safety of like what feels safe, what's possible, what's my potential. But sometimes it can feel like a betrayal to go beyond what our mothers have done. To some moms, that is not okay. And like I said, the mother wound's on a spectrum. So there's some moms who are very open and supportive. Some are very unhealthy and toxic. So for some women, and these are the women that I support, it's like they struggle with that sense of, I'm going to betray my mother if I become as empowered as I want to be. Is it possible for me to be happy and healthy if my mother's struggling or worried about stuff? So there's a codependency that patriarchy fosters between mothers and daughters. It fosters an enmeshment. Because there's not really a paradigm or many models of women who are true individuals who are not attached to family and our female experience, right, to be mothers or uh, wives, which has been the tradition for so long. And I talk about this in the conclusion of my book that women have only been permitted, I guess you could say, to feel safe except for attachment to the family. So women that live outside of that system have always been a threat. It's powerful. We need to rebel. We need to be a threat to the status quo in order to shift things radically, which is necessary right now. So yeah, I'm so happy we're having the conversation. <laughs> well, I had someone on the podcast whose work you'll probably know of, Cassia Baniak, who wrote Unbound. And yeah. She said, you know, it's not so long ago. You know, we're talking like not even 50, 60 years yet when we've gone from being property to owning property. Right. You know, almost in two generations. It's a remarkable shift. Yeah, like in 1978, you couldn't get a credit card without your husband signing off on that. <laughs> so is it any wonder, you know, that our generation are sat here being told, you know, that empowerment is possible and that invisible fence, as you beautiful metaphor, is keeping us stuck? Yeah, and so the safety, like even to get back to the inner child, the inner child is like, we're not going to survive <laughs> if we go beyond the invisible fence. She puts the brakes on. She aborts the mission of our adult woman self. That's where that safety with that child in us is crucial because she will sabotage us out of a fear of annihilation, which is from childhood, right? So we kind of have to nurture that child in us. And it's possible to nurture her to a place where she becomes more integrated, both her vitality, her joy her creativity, her innocence. We get to feel that we are 
loved and good exactly as we are, like the miracle of our existence becomes a felt reality. There's so much wisdom inside of the inner child. And so when she becomes integrated into who we are, the woman in us becomes even more empowered and there are no limits. And there's this sense that I can survive anything, that there's a safety that I carry around with me no matter what. And things are going to happen in the world and I'm going to survive it and I'm going to be okay. That is a place where I just feel so inspired that if we can get more women to that place is remarkable what could be possible to have that inner landscape that allows you to feel unstoppable like that. And as mothers with daughters, how do we do that for our daughters? I'd say for mothers of daughters, it's crucial to start bonding with your inner child, to start really connecting with that little girl inside of you who might be afraid, who might have a fear of abandonment or a fear of invasion. She has been neglected to some degree. So it's like, how do we create a way to nourish her, nurture her, cherish her so that she feels safe and loved? How do you do that? It's a practice. It's a practice that begins and has many stages to it. But I'd say the beginning stage is just to say, I'm here. Say to your inner child, I'm with you. You know, I'm here as your adult self and I'm here to start taking care of you. And you matter to me, right? And then find ways, little ways to do that. Like some easy ways are, you know, get a picture of yourself as a little girl and start having an interaction with it. You know, look at it every single day, send her lots of love and like maternal energy. Do something that will help her feel loved. Is there anything as a little girl that you love to do or wished you could do more of? Do those things, like literally take some action that feels nurturing to her. Those are two easy ways you can start right away. And then over time, it can be also when trust starts to be built, the inner child trusts like, oh, she's really showing up for me now. There may be sadness or grief or emotions that come up. And so it becomes about, I have a process I teach called validate, differentiate. It's just a handy phrase where you validate the emotions of the inner child. You say, oh, it makes sense you would feel like that given all that you've been through. That makes total sense to me. That's normal what you're feeling. So something like that is validating and then differentiating, which means we differentiate that actually those dangers of the past are no longer present. The bad thing has happened already. It's over. Now you're safe. You have your big Bethany with you or your big Zoe, and I'm here to take care of you now. You know, we can let that feeling be here, let that grief be here, and we can also feel the safety alongside it. So that's kind of what we do. We validate the feelings that need to come up, and then we also differentiate and bring that good news that and you know, the and part that you're safe and loved now. And I think that bad thing <laughs> yep. can be a belief. Because I think when people hear that, they think, well, I wasn't abused. I wasn't here. I wasn't. And I think it helped me to think, well, having a belief that I wasn't good enough, totally unconsciously passed down to me, you know, is a thing that I need to differentiate from. Mm-hmm. So those are the two levels. What are the next two? Oh, I forgot what we were talking about. Thanks for picking up that thread. So the third level is the spiritual mother wound. So what that is about is if you think about the first hours and days of an infant's life, the mother is world. Mother is food. Mother is self. So as we develop from very young children, we extrapolate our safety The mother is the higher power, basically, for much of childhood. And so if there's any break in the trust or we might extrapolate that out to feeling like I don't belong in this body or I don't belong in the world or is there a higher power? 
that loves me. And later in my journey, I discovered that as my inner child felt safer and more loved, there was this opening of feeling oneness with all of life. There was actually a visceral direct experience of, wow, I'm not actually separate from other people or the planet. I'm actually part of all of life. So it was almost a spiritual awakening for me as I got deeper into this work. It's like, oh, I'm transforming the way I feel about myself and the culture. I'm feeling safer in my body. And wow, the higher power is part of me. But we can't feel this reality while we're trying to like be hypervigilant or feeling awful about ourselves, right? So once the shame starts to dissipate to a degree, we can start to have these glimpses of the true reality, which is that we are interconnected. We can never, we're eternal. We are goodness to the core. <laughs> we are love itself. These are concepts in spirituality, but they become a living reality once the trauma lens is dissipated more and more. I used to say I was on two paths, like a therapy and I was on a spiritual path. I used to think they were two different things, but the more I healed my trauma, the more I realized it's actually one path and they merge at a certain point where as you grieve your past, as you heal from trauma, that film or that kind of like veil over reality starts to be perforated and starts to dissolve. And you can start to see that actually all is one and you're ultimately always safe, but it wasn't possible at an earlier level when you were just living out of a sense of survival and trying to protect yourself. So there's nothing bad about living that way. It's just that I think we graduate as we go deeper on the healing journey and we start to feel a true compassion for all life. We start to feel almost like a mother in a way to all life. Like we are all of it. And there's really no words for that, but it's like that ultimate always safe place. It makes sense to me. Do you live that all the time? I'm starting to live it more and more of the time. What's it given you in your life? How's life different? It becomes more play. So externally, what's different? You cut your hair off. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> a lot. Externally, you know what's interesting? I reached a whole new level after my book came out. It was almost like there was some part of my psyche that was like, I needed to get that goal done. And now that that's done, I've gone even more deeper into this place of, Shedding shame and also shedding any defenses against shame, like seeing that I don't actually have to do anything to feel worthy or good enough. Like I already am all the things I've always wanted to be. So it's more just like living by the impulse that wants to come through and not being so attached to what this body or what happens, you know, it's more like feeling this kind of buoyancy, like, wow, every minute is new. And we get to live here and experience that. It just feels more and more like a miracle. You can tell that in your energy. It's beautiful. <laughs> and what about the, number, the fourth way that the mother wound exists, right? Which is on yeah. a planetary level. And I think that is so in sharp focus right now. Mm -hmm. You know, if we call the world the mother, which many do and I do, then for sure we're disconnected, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking too about these billionaires going into space in a white phallic rocket trying to get away from their mother wound. You know, it's just ridiculous. It's like, could the universe give us a more sharp symbol of what's happening? The patriarchy wants to just throw the mother in the garbage dump and find another place to colonize. And it's grotesque. I think it's just obscene, but it's helping us become aware. It's like, oh yeah, the world, you know, our climate here in the United States, I'm in the Northeast and it's like we live in a new climate. It's like living in a rainforest where it rains multiple times a day. And, and this is very different. So 
couldn't be more urgent, the mother wound, the planetary mother wound, right? And so we have to become aware of this, the importance of it. So it's really not much to say about it because it's everywhere. It's surrounding us now. It's not so much conceptual. It's our everyday reality. Are the stages sequential? Do you think unlocking the personal mother wound has made you more conscious about your footprint on the planet? I don't know. I go back and forth with this. Some of it is sequential. I mean, I don't think we can get to a spiritual place, a real valid, authentic one, if we haven't done our trauma work. We just can't. You can't bypass that stuff. So I think there is a sequential nature to it. And maybe one even could argue that, you know, maybe the planetary mother wound is the first one. I don't know, but I think we do graduate to a place where we can actually see the urgency and the impact we have because we've touched on our own pain. When we're not defensive against it as much, we can see the impact we're having and feel an urgency to take action. What do you want to see from women, I guess, Western women with the privilege to dive into some of this work who aren't in a state of daily survival, which many women across our planet are, what do we need to do? I think we need to organize our lives around this. This needs to be the primary priority is the inner work, the inner and the outer. Like I see the mother wound as it has to go hand in hand with social justice, with anti-racism work, anti-classism work, all those isms. It's kind of hand in hand Because if we just do all the social justice work, we're projecting our mother wound onto other people. We're becoming the saviors. We're collapsing into fragility because we haven't actually developed the resilience to handle other people's pain and to be able to endure that and to be able to feel the impact without crumbling. You know, I think they go hand in hand. So I recommend if you have the resources and I've been privileged enough, I've developed my whole life. This is it. It's always been this since I was very young. And I feel like this is the most important work because everything flows from here. All the things we want that are true and lasting, real, come from dismantling the false and finding the true and living from that true place, whatever that looks like for you. So if you have the resources and you're not in survival, prioritize yourself and this work because it's not disconnected from how you show up. How you show up is predicated on how much you know yourself, how much you're connected you are to yourself. And not in an indulgent navel-gazing way, but in a like, let's deconstruct the false here. Let's go into what's real and let's develop the bravery and the capacity to start to show up as that. And sometimes that means showing up as being vulnerable. Our vulnerability is power. So it's almost like we almost redefine in a way organically as we go through the process of what is power and how do we want power to live in this world? I think it's a revealing process. These are answers that are going to be revealed in time when enough people are gone deep enough. I don't think it's going to take every single person on the planet having to do this. I think we just need enough people and then it'll make it easier for more to come along. Just as you described some of those coaching style questions, there's lots of those in the book. Can someone work through this stuff with the book, you know, sat in their bedroom on their own? Or do you recommend that they get professional support like you had? It's different for everyone. I mean, I would always say, the more support, the better. That's kind of my motto. It's like, if you can do it, get as much. Don't be like stingy with yourself. Prioritize yourself. Someone said to me years and years ago, you are your best investment. And so I really took that to heart and it's really been true. So I'd say, get as much support as you can. Get the book and start the book. It has questions you can work with on your own. And then when you're at that point where you're like, oh yeah, I really want some support you know, look into getting a therapist at that point. 
at this point in our culture, the only place to have these kind of conversations where you get to be supported in that kind of one way, like is therapy. And unfortunately, there's some not so great therapists out there, but I think with time, there's going to be more very high quality ones now that we're looking at what it really takes and how deep trauma really is, how prevalent, how common, and the training, they get more training and always requires them to do their work. We can't take people farther than they've gone. But also like mental health is still a patriarchal system as well. So that's going to require some deconstructing there. But yeah, start the book and, you know, you could even do it with some friends, you know, like a group, like maybe a group of friends could be fun to just talk about these ideas and share together. So it doesn't always have to be therapy, but I recommend it highly finding a good one, but also interviewing them, asking them some good questions. Um, How do you know if it's a good one? You feel better after you leave every time and you're feeling more and more empowered over time. And you feel like you can ask questions. You feel like you can push back. So there's a real respect. You feel respected and you feel like your voice matters. It's not a top-down type of situation. I think that's really important. They have to be fluent in like attachment styles and attachment trauma. You need someone who knows this terrain. There's a lot who don't. Yeah, there's a lot who don't. But you know, it doesn't have to be a perfect therapist. You can actually get a lot from someone who isn't exactly perfect. You know what I mean? It's like the good enough mother. You can have a good enough therapist who might be able to help you, you know, and then maybe you, you find another one at another level that you're at. But I'd say just being on the path, you know, I used to read voraciously all kinds of books. I used to journal. I still journal daily. You know, journaling is a kind of a free form of therapy where you can write down your feelings and you can look back at them. You can track your journey. So highly recommend journaling as a tool as well. Yeah, we talk about that pretty much every week on the podcast. So I'm glad <laughs> you two are a daily journaler. <laughs> it is like free therapy. Kind of is. It's incredible. Yeah, it's like you can read your own writing and be like, wow, I just had another insight, you know? It's a way of loving and empathizing with yourself too, right? To give yourself space to speak and be heard. And Yeah, it's where I practice speaking in my true voice, actually, in, in my journal mm-hmm. pages before I could do it in real life. Very incredibly cool. powerful, incredibly powerful. And I always ask the same question at the end, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? If I could give them one gift, I would wave a magic wand and take away all the guilt and shame that they may be carrying. Because I've learned through my own kind of plodding along on my own path that shame isn't true. It's just something we pick up along the way. And by erasing that guilt and shame, a mother could feel, she can feel her power, her sovereignty, and all these inner resources that she has and feel her own abundance. I feel like that could liberate her to nourish herself and value her voice. And just kind of taking those two things away, I think would just help her remember her value. That's not up for debate. That's inherent that can't be touched by the outside world. And then she can pass that on to her kids. It's always so interesting to me to (laughs) really have it land with me like it just did then. Again, you know, mothers are the givers of life. Without mothers, there would be no life. And yes, we all came from a vagina. We all came from women, every single person on this planet. So on paper, right, we should be the most important. And yet we live in this society still, as you said, where the opposite is true. I love exploring that kind of thought that you just 
deeply triggered in me and, and just the fallacy of that and what it would be like if we could all step into that power it would be remarkable wouldn't it yeah because like we all have this power like it's in us latently like we might not know it we might not realize it we might not even feel it but it's there so we just have to remove that's how I see the healing of the mother wound process it's just like removing and shedding layer by layer all these accumulated distorted beliefs about ourselves and distorted patterns when that stuff is removed enough we can feel the reality of this that shame and guilt are not real they don't need to actually hold us back anymore and that is just so cool we're goddesses like every single one of us that's why I only work with women and mothers same I'm always getting asked to work with men I'm like no (laughs) I hear you yeah we're all amazing every single one of us it's been a really enlightening and fascinating conversation so thank you Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed every moment. Really amazing questions. I appreciate the opportunity to share my work with your community. And thank you so much. This has been so fun. You're welcome. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists and we give you step-by-step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just £25 currently. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website, familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care. I'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.